as quickly as I can. We got a I want to say we've got a lot to cover, but we've got a lot to cover and to experience. So let me let me see if I can posture us differently through this series. Not that this is a stamp of approval on this existing before this series. Like, oh, we only need to do this during this series. But there's a different posture to listening and, in, and engaging something that's going to need to travel into your world, into your heart, into your attitude, into the way in which you're living your life, into your belief system. Right? You, can, you can posture yourself in kind of a neutral fashion and listen. That should never be the way in which we listen to the word of God preached. We should never be neutral. Right? We, should, we should either hate what we're hearing or love what we're hearing. Right? That's where our lives need to, to live. So that God can clearly not have us in a lukewarm position where we're hearing God's word and it's not traveling to the places where it needs to go. But at the end of our time, and this will be, I think, probably a pattern somewhat for this series. At the end of the time, this voice is going to try to go away. Try to go away. (laughs) And you're going to be left with silence. It's really not going to be silence. It's going to be the sound of a different voice. It's going to be the voice of the Holy Spirit seeking to address you specifically and uniquely where you are in relation to what God has revealed this morning. So I want you to be prepared for that. I don't want you to be prepared to listen. I'm going to listen to human being express words to me. Some ideas will come to me. I'll interact with those, and then we'll, we'll have a closing song or a closing prayer, and then I'll go home. No, no, I want you to, to make an appointment in your mind right now to get ready to listen to the Spirit of God speak to you in the way in which the Spirit of God desires to speak to us. And that's very much what we're about in this series. Let me jump into your introduction there for a moment. Look at these passages. They make us aware that it's possible for any of us to miss the Spirit of God, to be unaware of the Spirit of God. It's not just the people who are lost. It's not just the people who didn't go to the right church. It's not just the people who haven't gotten around that doctrine. It's quite possible for any one of us to have been developing habits where we're unaware of the Spirit. Right? And I will confess before you there are aspects of the Spirit's ministry that I am unaware of as a pastor, as a believer for over 30 years now. I know something about them, but I'm not aware of them personally. So what we're going to read here, we are in these passages here. Let's just read them quickly. I'm not going to spend time in them. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Right? We're going to find out this is the, the, minist- the Spirit's ministry of regeneration. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Right? There's a a realm of mystery in the activity of the spirit. Sometimes we don't understand. We might see the effect of the spirit in some way, but not even be recognizing that was the spirit. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and, and yet you do not understand these things? So when Jesus began to talk of the things of the Spirit to a man who was a religious man with a lot of training in his background, he moved into a realm to where this guy didn't have understanding. He didn't get it. Right? What about this passage? Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We've, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, if you've studied Acts chapter 19, you know that that verse has got some challenges to understanding exactly what's happening in these people's lives. And we're going to unpack that somewhere in the series. But no matter what you come down on, because these guys are being labeled disciples, and there's a question about what, what made up their discipleship. They seem to be most clear on the baptism of John. So it's possible they're not really Christians. Okay, but, but what's interesting here to me in this is that the Apostle Paul doesn't know that. He assumes they're Christians who have believed. And he still asks this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right, so outside of this context of just the Ephesian folks here, the Apostle Paul apparently has a view that a Christian might not be in touch with the Spirit this way. A Christian could have come to a point of belief but be a stranger to having received the Holy Spirit in the way in which Paul is referring to here. So, so you can be a Christian and be missing out on something of the Spirit, right? We won't open up to 1 Corinthians 12, but you'll remember that whole section the, where we get the most teaching on spiritual gifts. From chapter 12 through chapter 14, we get the Apostle Paul opening up his teaching by telling the Corinthians, I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of these things of the Spirit, of the spiritual things. He kind of uses a strange terminology there. And then he begins to explain the operation of the Spirit in the realm of gifts. He doesn't go into all the activity of the Spirit, but he goes into a realm of how the gifts of the Spirit operate in the church. But I think it's interesting, informative for every one of us to realize that there was an option available for these folks, and that option was to be ignorant of these things. I, I don't want you to be ignorant. I know you could be. I know you might not really understand this or be aware. Right? So when we visit the presentation of the Spirit in Scripture, whether you're, whether you're in a Nicodemus state, whether you've got lots of religious background, you grew up going to a, a religious school and going to church and you were raised in a home around religious training, you understand you could still be a stranger to things of the Spirit. You, you could be here today. And the term being born again by the Holy Spirit doesn't jump off the page at you and scream at you. It's just words. You know, you, you, yeah, you've heard those words. You know, those people in that fundamental kind of movement over there that make the news sometimes, they're, they're born again Christians. Right? Okay, well, that's how the news media uses that. But do you realize the scriptures use that? And when they 
But the Bible is using it. It leaps off the page about this major, amazing, mysterious, deep work that the Holy Spirit does in an individual to bring new life to them and to make them a new creature that they were not before, but they have now become. Did you know that? Or are you, are you with Nicodemus? Kind of saying, wait, 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 when you say that, I, I, wait, I don't quite get it. What do you, what do you mean by that? All right, so I think a lot of us can find ourselves in some of these passages. And so let me expose you to the, to the intent that I believe the Lord has in this series. It's written down in your outline there. Not so much to introduce us to the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? I'm not going to spend time defending that he is God. He's the third person of the Trinity, etc. Or even to just educate us as to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But rather to seek to connect us to actually receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right, let me, let me spend a few moments just digging around in that thought so I can, I think, communicate what the Lord is wanting Lakeview Christian Center at this hour of our existence, at this point in our lives as believers to encounter. Right, I, I read this to you. I didn't put it in your outline. Knowing the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And even wholeheartedly agreeing with the doctrines of the Holy Spirit doesn't guarantee that you are experiencing or engaging the Spirit in the now. Can you go with me there? You guys who have been saved for a while, you guys who have pursued the Spirit of God, can you go there? You know, right? You could stand up here and explain the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Just because we know them doesn't mean we're experiencing them, doesn't mean that we are engaging them and pursuing them. Right? Much teaching on the Holy Spirit may fall short of this emphasis. That the Holy Spirit is a, a person who is now present and expressive. He's now present. He's a personality. Right? He, he's a moving target. It's not just a concept to be believed. Concepts are more stationary targets. While the Holy Spirit moves and has a different nuance to our making contact in meaningful ways. And I think you need to, to know this. I don't, I, and I'm, I'm searching for a good illustration. I just give you what comes to mind. But it's in some way, the spirit language is like a different language. And I think sometimes we miss because we try to listen through the, the language that we know rather than beginning to acquire an understanding of the spirit's language, how the spirit engages us. Right, recognize this, and, and please don't do this because I'm not doing this. This is, this is not a demeaning of the first thing that I'm saying in order to establish the second thing I'm saying. Okay? It's not that. There is a difference in how the Holy Spirit is experienced when we are remembering what God has done versus receiving from the Spirit right now in areas of our lives that don't have a reference point previous to that moment. Right? What we just did in song was to remember what God has done. It's completely appropriate. We should do that. It should be a huge category of our lives. And I think Matt even prayed about this, that there is a realm in which truth gets revealed to us. You and I don't come to the Bible with natural abilities to understand what's there. You might have a natural ability to read. That does not mean you have an ability to understand the things that are read there because they are spiritually discerned, as that verse in Corinthians reveals. So when you and I pick up the Bible 
and the Bible comes to life for us, right? You've had that happen to you. The Bible has affected you deeply. It's spoken to you. Okay, the Holy Spirit took that reference point in your life and he brought it into a deeper reality. It's like he pulled back the veil. You saw the layers of truth that were there and it affected your life. That engagement of the Spirit is different than God right now, sort of out of nowhere, speaking to you a word that I want to say doesn't yet exist. Right? Jesus encounters a, a, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Now remember, Jesus is a man under the anointing of the Spirit. That's who he is as he walks around. So he's become a man. He has emptied himself of his throne prerogatives. He's a man empowered by the Spirit. So do you see the similarity between Jesus' ministry and, and ours? We are men empowered by the Spirit. When Jesus engages a Samaritan woman, the Spirit of God makes known to him her condition. Do you remember? He knows stuff that he can't know in the natural. He knows how many times she's been married. He knows that she's living with a man right now who's not her husband. He knows about this woman. Okay, now, Jesus, what Jesus didn't do in that moment was reach back into a, a prophecy from Isaiah and start there and say, you know, I, you know, as I think about that verse in Isaiah, Samaritan woman, this is what comes to mind. No, no, he had no reference point for her. He started with nowhere, and the Spirit just showed up with a revelation that didn't have a reference point. Does that make sense? When, when you get into the book of Acts and you get into Acts chapter 13 and there's a group of leaders in a church and they're meeting and they're praying together and the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Saul and Barnabas. Right? Remember that meeting? That, that, that's the Spirit of God making known a word that has no previous reference point. It's not as though they could look back into Jeremiah or Deuteronomy and find that it, it, was, it was Saul and Barnabas that those verses were referring to. Ah, oh, now understand, Daniel did that. Daniel sat down with the book of Jeremiah and the Spirit revealed to him the 70 years that they were to be in captivity. It still was, it, do you still see that as a ministry of the Spirit, by the way? Right? The Holy Spirit had to open Daniel's understanding to the Scriptures. But different, when the guys in Antioch were making a decision about Paul and Barnabas, there was no previous reference point. The Spirit's voice and impression had to be captured out of nowhere. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Right? When Agabus in, in Acts chapter 11 gets a prophetic insight that there's going to be a famine throughout the world, and he shares that, He's not reaching back to some passage somewhere and saying, that's what that passage means. There's going to be, there's going to be a famine right here. Where did he get the idea that there would be a famine? Well, listen, you and I can read the Bible and can say there will be famines. And various famines are going to take place. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be rumors of war. Right? Where do I get that revelation from? From the Bible. That's a good thing. But it's different for me to turn around and say, no, there's going to be a famine in a few weeks. Or there's going to be a famine in a few years, and it's going to be on this scale, and we need to take action about it this way. Where did that come from? Okay, that came by the Spirit. So in, in some way, do you understand, you receive that kind of stuff differently than when you open the Bible and read Isaiah and try to understand what Isaiah was talking about. And the Holy Spirit leads you into that. So in some ways, you are engaging God very differently. And, and we need to be prepared for that. It's almost like, I'm going to use this radio illustration in a second here. If, if there is a, 
tuning into the broadcast. You know, there's aspects where we listen to God on the AM setting, and then sometimes you got to flip it over to FM to hear the Holy Spirit say some things to you differently. Okay, now, how many of you guys know that when you're on the AM setting, you never hear any FM broadcasts? Have you guys figured that out yet? <laughs> you only hear the AM broadcast. You can find them all over the place, but you will not hear one FM broadcast. You've got to switch to FM to hear the FM broadcast. And so, so it is in the way in which we encounter the Spirit. All right, let me skip to my illustration here. Everybody tuned into your radio there? All right, I, I, one of the things I think God wants to do with us is to teach us how to tune into God. How to be aware of what God sounds like, what the Spirit is like how to look to the Spirit to be able to receive from the Spirit. Now, when I go to the Bible, I find the Spirit's communication has variety to it. It's not just one thing. We don't just encounter God one way. The Holy Spirit, when you sit down and you're honestly evaluating, was that the Spirit right there on that page? Well, yes, that was. And how about this over here? Yeah, that, that was too. And, and the Bible, most of the time, is coming right out and telling you, the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. But sometimes you realize there's things happening that if you're informed by the theology of the Bible, you know that couldn't have happened without the Holy Spirit. So you know the Spirit was in that verse, even though the verse might not come out and tell you that. So let's just look here, okay? And I want to I treat these varieties like they're different radio stations on a dial. Right, this is the Spirit broadcasting, right? So just like the way in which you get in your car and you operate your, your dial, that old school dial. Those of you who can remember where you had a dial and you actually turned it and it moved up and down the thing there, uh, you had to dial in, right? If you wanted to hear a certain broadcast from a certain station, you, you kind of had to get in line with that thing. You had to shove it over this way and kind of just, and you'd overshoot it and you'd back it up a little bit and it would become clear. And you'd hear that broadcast. And then maybe if you wanted to, to hear news instead of music, you'd you have to kind of scoot it down a little bit farther into the news category. And then, you, then you'd hear something different. It didn't sound like what it did before. And it's in a different location. And you had to sort of intentionally pursue that. I think that's a good description of how it is to engage the Spirit. All right, so here, let's just visit a couple spots here. I'm just introducing this concept, so I'm not going to take this whole diagram apart. But what about, you know, conviction? We're going to look at conviction this morning. Conviction and repentance, and I'm not going to get to the repentance, but we're just going to look at conviction. Conviction is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you ever in your life experience a moment where you are convicted, the Holy Spirit is doing that to you. You have tuned in and dialed in to an activity of the Spirit that has made contact with you. And you feel the weight of it. And today I want to talk about what that feels like to experience conviction. Now, in some other point, you might experience regeneration and conversion. Being born again of the Spirit. At some point, that's a ministry of the Spirit that comes to your life. Or revelation and understanding. When you open the Bible up like Daniel did, or like any of us do, and we get what it's saying, and it speaks to us, right? You guys remember when you had, had not had any insight into the Bible, and you opened up, and God began to make it come to life to you? And I remember being a teenager, reading things like, oh my gosh. I mean, just, you know, you just couldn't stop talking about it. You'd tell somebody you read this, and did you know this was in the Bible all this time? God made this real to me, and what, what, what was that? Just me getting smarter? No, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit touching my life with his ability for me to understand these passages. 
very much the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God produces in us this love, this God-like love, a love for other people, that mind-blowing kind of love, a joy that's, that doesn't make sense, right? A peace that passes understanding, right? The person who lives in the natural realm assesses their surroundings and bases their feelings on, are these peaceful circumstances? Well, then I can be at peace. Well, the person with the spirit operating in them finds that there's this peace that sort of comes from nowhere. You can't explain it, and it actually doesn't make any sense. You should be pulling your hair out. You should be freaking out. Aren't you afraid? Look at what's happening around you. But something on the inside of you is saying, no, we're good. We're good. Out of the inside of you comes the activity of the spirit into your life. But these inner intangibles, these will be fun to take apart. The Spirit is given credit for these things in the lives of believers. Boldness, burden, hunger and thirst, and motivation and affection for God. Those inner, what I call, I call them the intangibles. You can't touch them. But you know, <clears throat> you know if you've been saved for, for very long, you know that your hunger level has changed from time to time. There are times when you can't get enough of God's word and you are passionate and there's affection for God and you want to turn the world upside down and every moment you got, you're opening the Bible up and you're reading a book and you're in prayer and you're, you're loud and you're passionate and you're in worship and every song is the right song. <laughs> every once in a while, Matt gets it right and you discern that. And then there's moments when you don't feel like reading your Bible and you don't read your Bible and you don't get around other people and you, go, and you join a prayer meeting, but no, whatever you hear is you pray and Matt can't seem to pick a good song ever. Right? What, what was the difference in you? It was the activity of the Spirit in you giving you hunger and thirst and desperation and affection toward God. That's an intangible, isn't it? But you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? That's the spirit. Spirit intrusions. These will be other fun things. Right, we teach a lot in this church on the, on the process of sanctification, which, which is in the intangibles and in the fruit of the spirit. There's this activity over process of time where God is working in us, step upon step upon step upon step to transform our lives. And then, but when you read the Bible, you find out there's these intrusive moments of the spirit. Where in an instant the Holy Spirit comes and there's fillings and receivings and the Spirit fell upon. And in a moment a vision or a dream or an impression or some direction suddenly comes into your life, into your covenant group meeting, into your home life, comes these intrusions by the Spirit. You're just walking along, conducting life, and the Spirit intruded in that moment and something got imparted. Just like that. The Holy Spirit does that. Do you understand? I'm not going to go through all these things today. But do you you just see from this brief introduction the varied ministries of the Spirit? They don't look the same way. They don't feel the same way. You tune in and engage them differently. But it's important that we recognize that because I think we're missing out on a lot. Look at these thoughts here. The manifestation of the Spirit is multifaceted. Identifying a move of the Spirit must welcome the full range of the Spirit's broadcast. All right, anybody wants to say whether the Spirit's moving? How do you mean y'all use that term? All right, we want to say, oh, man, the Spirit is really moving. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? Right, I mean, when you got taught to use that phrase, what did that mean? The Spirit's moving. Okay, I'm with you. 
What do you mean? Man, in that church, the spirit of God is moving, brother. It's moving. God is moving among us. All right. What do you mean? C.J. Mahaney says, the work of the spirit is a broad work. And we don't want to succumb to defining that work with a few phenomena. Right? How many of y'all believe that the, the Corinthian church was a spirit-filled church? Right? Spirit-filled. I mean, God was moving in the Corinthian church. Did you read the first 11 chapters of the Corinthian church? Just curious. Would you still say the spirit's moving? Right? The first 11 chapters, you would conclude this place is dead. Spirit's not moving here. There's all kinds of sin taking place. You almost get to chapter 12 and you get freaked out and surprised. Like, oh my gosh, how can all this be going on in this church? And you learn something about the grace of God. Was the spirit moving there? Well, can me say this. If I'm staring at my radio dial here, was the spirit moving in Corinth? Yes and no. Because they, they were tuned in to certain places. And they were tuned out to others. And they had to be corrected, and Paul had to inform them. In the same way that, that some of us might need to be informed about categories of the Spirit's activity. Because we're tuned in. Right? Just like, I mean, I do believe there's a good connection here between our radio picture and how we experience the Spirit. Because, you know, your radio's probably got presets to it, right? You got presets? I mean, you don't shop for every channel every time you move, right? You, you've got three or four stations that are presets for you. Right, you got this one and this one, and you know if you want the news, you got that one, and uh, you know so you got your three or four stations that you're tuned into. <clears throat> All right, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to the life of every believer in relating to the Spirit. I think we developed these patterns where we got three or four presets that if you look on that dial right there, <clears throat> and you start telling me, okay, and I want you to do this actually. At some point in your covenant groups, this is a, this is a good self awareness discovery point. Look through all those boxes. And mark the ones that are your presets. Right, don't do that right now because it will take too long. But sit down with this at some point and say, okay, here are my presets. Here are the things that I experience from the Spirit. Here are the things that I look to by the Spirit. Now, what you tend to do is you tend to keep looking based on what you've experienced. So once you start to experience something from God, you will tend to look for that. What do you think you do with the things you don't experience? You stop looking for them. They're still there. The same Holy Spirit who broadcasts on this frequency, he broadcasts on this one too. But I, I don't have a preset on that one. Right? I, don't, I don't ever listen to that. Right? Growing up, how many of you guys listened to WTIX growing up? Yeah, welcome to New Orleans. How many of you all know that 690 on the AM dial is no longer WTIX? Right? You tune in there and the spirit has departed. Ichabod, right? <laughs> The broadcast is gone. They use different letters. I mean, you're so used to WTIX 690. It ain't there no more. The glory cloud has moved. <laughs> but, you know, we, but there'd be other stations that you've never listened to on the dial. Right? They're, just, they're just not interested. And what you end up learning is you learn how to sort of interact with those broadcasts, right? I mean, you got, if you want news, you turn into news, you're in a certain mood, you want news to be informed, you turn over to the sports station, you got sports. But, you know, you maybe, maybe you kind of want to engage some, some cool jazz, you know? Maybe you want a little Barry White going on, you know? Different place, different need there. And then you, you know, flip down the dial and there's some head-banging, jamming kind of rock noise kind of making. Listen, you know, all that stuff feels a little different to you. 
When you engage the Spirit, it doesn't always feel the same way. You almost have to, you have to learn the voice, learn the language of the Spirit, or there's a lot of the Spirit's activity that will either be grossly neglected or just never experienced by the church. All right, so does that make sense? I think we want to learn how to change our presets. We want to learn how to dial in to the Spirit because He is broadcasting in a bunch of categories. And so I want to explore today the broadcast of the Spirit in the area of conviction. The Holy Spirit operates in our lives to bring conviction to us. So let me put some real life into this. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and you're going to encounter a story here that's familiar to most of us. It's the story of King David. And King David was a man in this story who found himself in in need of a new normal. We talked about last week, we can get settled into these patterns in our life, and they become normal. And we're not experiencing the Spirit of God at the level that we should be, but that's normal to us. And once it becomes normal, normal in my life, normal in your life, I don't get around something in your life that makes me go, hmm, I'm abnormal. There should be more in me than is you. So once we all kind of float to this level of existence together, we start calling that normal and we stop looking for something to be more than that. Okay, we can't do that. Eventually the church just continues to settle and settle and settle until it gets to the bottom and it's like sludge. And sludge now is normal. Well, David had a category in his life that he let there become a normal, that God in his grace interrupts with a move of the Spirit in conviction. Now you remember the story for David here Timeline-wise, you know, David is a mighty king. He's a great leader. He's a man after God's own heart. He's done some incredible things. He's won more battles. Uh, he got more trophies of defeats against other countries than anybody else. And it says that there was a day in the spring when kings go off to war. So off to war Israel goes. However, King David stayed home. I know immediately, if you know King David, you should be suspicious. King David is a fighter. King David likes to fight. He's brave. But King David stays home. Hmm, that's curious. Not going with us. It's when the kings go to war. Nah, I'm, I'm going to stay back on this one. And surprise, surprise, David gets into trouble. What a surprise. David just happens, I'm sure this is probably the first time he wandered out onto his rooftop and gazed at a woman down in the lower housing from his palace who was outside taking a bath. And uh, I'm sure it was probably the first time he really had some real lustful thoughts in his heart as well. I'm I'm sure this was just a bunch of firsts for David. And... uh, he just got this bold at- attitude in the midst of this temptation of lust that, that he was going to call this woman to come to him. So he sends somebody to go get her, brings this woman back to him, uses his power and his influence, and sleeps with her. All right, now how many of y'all really think this is the first time David's ever done anything like that? Right, you actually think the first time this, well, I'm curious, you know, Dave, what are you doing staying home? When you normally go off to fight. Well, everybody else will be away. Ah. Right, this is, this, is, this is just a word for everybody about sneaky habits. You got any sneaky habits? You know the ones that you can't wait for everybody else to be gone? 
No, sure, honey. Take take the kids as long as you want. Go stay with your mother for a couple of days. Uh, you know. Why do you want that? Why do you want to be alone? It's not always noble. You, you don't necessarily have prayer and fasting on your mind. <laughs> you may be making room for your quiet, personal, private, sneaky little habit, which more than likely is exactly what David is doing. And it turns bad. Right? He acts upon this. It's no longer, it's no longer, if you will, if you allow me, it's no longer a viewing problem. It's no longer a pornography problem. He's taken fire to his bosom, and now it needs to be more than that. And he strategically, I think, stays home, uses his power and his influence. And next thing you know, he has access to that woman. He sleeps with that woman, and she becomes pregnant. And now, now he's got a problem on his hands because his private, sneaky little habit now is about to go public. Can I, can I just warn you, in the grace of God, warn you? Your private habit at some point is going to go public. Number says, be ye assured, your sin will find you. You, you think no one knows. But see, what, what's happening is while you cooperate with sin, it's installing this ring in your nose. And it's going to lead you around. And it's going to lead you to the place right now you think you will never go. I will never go there. I would never do that. I'd never let it get that far. No, no, no. The second you cooperate with that sin, it starts to install the ring in your nose. And at some point, it's going to pull you along, and you're going to find yourself where you never thought you would be doing what you never thought you would do. Don't be a fool. You are a rank amateur. Sin is a professional. Please get that in your head. Don't ever think that you have the ability to lead sin around, to hold it in your hands and be able to manage it. God has not given you that ability. You know what ability God has given you? To repent of sin and get it out of your hands immediately. That's the ability God has given you. And if you tell God, I don't really need that ability, God. I just, I just need, need some influence from you just to manage this thing at a certain level. You get no help from God. God said, repent of that, put it down, and run for your life. He didn't say he would stand around and help you manage it. So if you've got a private, sneaky little habit in your life, this day is coming for you. And once it comes for David, he goes into lying in deceptive mode. Right? If you've got any sneaky habits, you're already a liar. Can I just tell you that? You're already good at lying. The mere fact that you've had it for this long and no one knows about it, well, I've never, you know, no one's directly confronted me on it. Oh, really? That's what, that's what has to happen for you to be a liar? <laughs> You're living a fake life. You're living a life before brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, before your family, before people who know you. They don't think you're practicing that sin. Wouldn't they talk to you differently if they knew that? And you're leading them to believe, I'm good. I'm good. You're lying to them. You're living a lie. So David's a good liar. He's a good deceiver already. He's been hiding a sneaky little habit. But now this is going to go public, and so uh, the first thing he's got to worry about is this man's, this woman's husband. So long story short, he makes arrangements for the husband to be murdered. He first tries to trick the husband into thinking the baby's his. That doesn't work, so he has the man murdered. He has the man killed, right? So let's jump into the story here. End of chapter 11. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. Now, David had it done in a slick way, so his hands are clean. Doesn't look like he was involved at all. It was a hit. 
basically had the man killed. He didn't kill him himself, but he had the man killed. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him, with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there, were, there came a, a traveler to a rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. and He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. All right, isn't this amazing? Some time has gone on here. Finally, the Lord sends Nathan to David. And, and I want to tell you, this is, this is such a revelation of the mercy of God. You may not feel that way when the prophet comes to you and he traps you in correction. You might not feel that way. But David is not coming clean. David has embraced a pattern in his life where he is not going to do the right thing and come clean. And in the mercy of God, God sends someone to him. This is mercy. And then God, because I think by this point, there has built a callousness in David's heart. And God in his mercy allows a sense of anger to come into David's life so he can get a better view of his own sin. Because at this point, I don't think he sees his own sin the way he sees that guy's sin. You get that? Isn't that amazing how gifted we are? We can be totally insensitive to God and the sins of our own life, but let us hear about what somebody else did. We can get so righteous in our anger about, can you believe those people and what they, oh, all along we are just dull to the voice of the Spirit of God. Well, this takes an awkward turn here for David because just as he gets incensed and he feels rightly how he should feel about sin, Nathan turns around and said, David, I'm talking about you. Do you feel that way about you? And the Lord discloses himself to David, reveals that he's behind this through Nathan. Verse 15, we'll go back to the other part in a moment. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. God told David, I'm going to judge what you've done. And I'm, I'm going to take the life of your child. So the judgment of God falls upon the child that was the product of this adulterous relationship. So notice something here. We're at least nine months plus into David's life from the day that he committed these acts. The child is alive. The child is born. I don't, we don't know how old the child is. The child could be a toddler for all we know. This could be a year later, two years later. I don't, we don't know. But some time has passed. And along the way here, David has decided to go about his business. This is a man who has embraced adultery, lying, and murder. And he now lives in a new kind of normal. The man who was a man after God's own heart has normalized the presence of sin in his life. It's normal now. 
It's there. He doesn't even talk about it anymore. He doesn't bring it up. He's not done the right thing with it. It's just part of the scenery now. It's, it's not that significant to him, you see. I mean, that's, that's, that's normal. Now, now right, can you, can you travel here with me? Is, is there anything in our lives that sound like that? That we've taken issues of sin in our life, and rather than doing what God would have us to do with them, rather than falling under the conviction of the Spirit of God, it, we've just normalized it. Well, everybody struggles with stuff like that. It's just, you know, or I've got a reason why, or it just makes sense for me. Or, you know, I, the way I was treated and everything. You understand, you know, for whatever reason, David has made this normal. And God in his grace interrupts normal. Now, when God shows up, this is the mercy of God. And this is the ministry of the Spirit. Turn to Psalm 51. David is about to encounter the convicting work of the Spirit. And, and, and here's a good behind-the-scenes ingredient list of what does the conviction of God look and feel like, right? Because what we want to do, we want to be able to say, okay, Lord, I want to dial in to the convicting ministry of the Spirit in my life. Lord, I, I want to be able to look, find, and receive from you conviction by the Spirit in my life. I don't want to be dull. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to be like David, where I've got issues in my life that have never been dealt with correctly. And I've managed to move on and have God travel with me and so I can just ignore those things. Right? No, 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 no. I, I, I want to encounter the Spirit's ministry of conviction, and that's what happens here. Psalm 51. The note before the psalm says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is this is God accompanying Nathan the prophet, and the Spirit of God is awakening conviction. This is, David, this is how you should have been receiving the Spirit's ministry in this area of your life a year ago or two years ago, however long it's been. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, your covenant love, your faithful love. You will not, you will not leave me, love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Right? The judgment of God that fell upon his own child. God, you are, you are not to be blamed. You did what was righteous in responding to me, my sin. Behold, I was, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I, I have a career as a sinner, God. Right. So when the Spirit of God comes and conviction falls upon David, look what happens to him. Suddenly his attitude towards sin changes. There's no excuses. He's not blaming anyone else. He's not seeking for Nathan or anybody else to just understand. You understand, don't you? You know, this has happened and that happened. And what else? I was the king. What else was I going to do? I, I had to kill him. Do you understand? No, there's no asking for anybody to understand. He owns his own sin. He takes responsibility for his sin. 
don't think along the way, kind of got a barb on the side. I mean, she's a good-looking woman. What the heck was she doing out there just right out where I could see her? I mean, what is she thinking? Doesn't she know she was putting a stumbling block in my way? No, no, there's none of that. David stands before God, and he is responsible. The conviction of God has come, and all that game playing is gone. And this sin that he has been silent about all this time, all of a sudden now it's like somebody rolled him in asbestos. It's all over him, and he's itching like fire. Lord, cleanse me. Get this off of me. What a difference, huh? What a different man. When the Spirit of God comes in his ministry of conviction, and then suddenly sin to us becomes utterly sinful. Despicable. We hate it. We want to be done with it. Now listen, do you you recognize that you don't always feel that way about sin? He didn't feel that way. This has been a long time since he's committed these sins. And normal for him was just to leave them. That ain't normal now, is it? This man is itching to get this off of me. God, do something. God, you got to do something. That's that's the kind of conviction I want in my life. I want to experience the Spirit of God that way. When I sin, I want God to give me that experience of the Spirit and affect me that way. Look in verse 8. Verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Some people think Psalm 32 is also David referencing this season of his life. It's not real clear, but he says something just like that. Psalm 32, verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Can, Can I just tell you, when you stop responding to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're creating an environment that's not conducive for joy and gladness. When I kept silent about my sin, it's like deep inside of me there was this dull ache like my bones were wasting away. There was something missing. Interesting what was missing. The fruit of the Spirit was missing. Joy. Oh, Lord, would would you let me feel joy again? I've not felt joy. The ministry of conviction gives you longings for the things of the Spirit. And look at verse 11 here. Well, verse 10. Create in me, oh God, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Depending on where your theology takes you, you can get pretty reckless with this verse. Now, I want to highlight something because I I think what David is referring to here is the same thing that Moses was referring to when God's presence would not go with them. Although it wasn't like God said, you know what, you guys made that calf. Let me just just set the record straight. You're not my people. The promises are over, and you're never going to inherit the land. That's not what God said, did he? He kept... Knowing that these, these are my people and you guys are going in the land, but I'm just telling you right now, my presence isn't going with you. I think that's what David's aware of. David's aware of forfeiting the presence of God in his life uniquely, expressively in his life. He starts this whole psalm off, have mercy according to your steadfast love. That's the word has said. It's the covenant love of God. 
Right? Matter of fact, if you travel back a little bit into Second uh, Samuel chapter seven, this is the kind of stuff that God is saying to David. Second Samuel chapter seven, God makes a covenant with David. These promises that God made, kind of like what He did with Abraham, He promised him things that Abraham didn't deserve and hadn't performed to get. It was God saying, I'm going to do this for you. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is God speaking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my said, my steadfast love, will not depart from him. As I, look, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. When God revealed his covenant love to David, God assured him, David, this will not come to an end. So David knows God has made a promise to him of faithfulness, of covenant faithfulness. And, God, and he reminds God of that, God, have mercy on me according to the way you are in your covenant mercy toward me. And when he prays later on, God, please don't remove your spirit from me. I don't think he's worried about losing his salvation. Now, that's a bad term anyway, theologically. It's a bad term. That's not David's concern here. David's concern is that God has given his presence in a special way to his people. And David knows, just like with the golden calf, just like with Samson, you find Samson's story in one moment. The Spirit of God is coming upon Samson in these mighty ways. And with his bare hands, nothing else, he's ripping a lion to pieces. And then a few chapters later, he's succumbed to sin, succumbed to sin, to succumbed to sin, given into Delilah, given into his appetites for fleshly sinful satisfaction. And Delilah tricks him and gets him to disclose the secrets of his power. And she binds him the way in which he had said to be bound, but she's cut his hair now. And he thinks, I'll just, she says, the Philistines are here. Remember, he says, well, I'll just jump up and I'll loose myself like I have all the other times. And the Bible says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed him. What had, what had happened? This unique ability, this gifting, this power from God for Samson to be who God had called him to be, God had withdrawn it. So when he walked out to face the Philistine, he was just a man without the power of God. Right? R.T. Kendall says the account of Samson in an Old Testament example is an Old Testament example of what the Apostle Paul calls grieving the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, the anointing lifts. We usually feel nothing at the time. That's a, that's a frightening thought. You don't know what happened. It isn't until some time later that we notice we have carried on out of habit or through the momentum of a natural gift. Billy Graham said, my greatest fear is that God would remove his hand from me. You think Billy Graham was afraid he was going to lose his salvation when he said that? No. 
He just recognized that uniquely God had chosen to place his hand upon Billy Graham's life and through him to do amazing things and affect people. And he recognized that God could withdraw that. God's special presence could be withdrawn. Well, what happens here, as we keep reading in Psalm 51, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit reaches David, affects him. He's convicted. He's begging, God, restore to me, verse 12, restore God, let this be a restorative moment. God, I want to be restored. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Right? Not just going through the motions. God's just not after another David sacrifice that he's probably been given all this time. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God. You will not despise. Right? Do, you, do you hear what the Spirit of God has accomplished in this man? This guy who was keeping silent about his sin, who was trivializing it, did not deal with it in a way that that revealed God's glory. God comes and and the weight, he feels like his bones have been hurting. The weight of the Spirit of God operating in his life is causing him to cry out. But you know what I love when I get to the end here? I love the affection in this man's heart toward God. God is... God has dealt with him severely. You understand, if you read the judgments that were in 2 Samuel, God has dealt with this man severely. David, you did this in private. I just want you to know what I'm going to do. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops. What I'm about to do to you. God severely disciplines David. But what's interesting, what I think is part of David being broken, if if you're looking back in 2 Samuel, chapter 12 Nathan said to David you are the man verse 7 and thus says the Lord the God of Israel now look what God reveals to him I anointed you king over Israel excuse me and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house master's wives into your hand and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. What did God just reveal to David? His glory, his goodness, David. I've I've been good to you. You have tasted of my goodness. I made a covenant with you to bless you and to bless generations after you. David, why? Now, in this moment, the Spirit of God is reminding David. The Spirit of God is doing what often we need the God to take us to a Bible verse. He takes him back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, David, do you remember the day I made covenant with you? Because when you read the whole of 2 Samuel 7, you find David scratching his head saying, God, why are you doing this for me? Why are you being so kind to me? Why do you want to bless me? Why do you want to bless generations after me? Why, Lord, do you want to be so good to me? 
And God brings him back in this moment to those passages. And the Holy Spirit reminds him, do you remember how I revealed myself to you, David? Right? God is stirring in David fresh affection. The judgment of God falls. And if you follow the rest of the story, David laments the sickness of his son almost into a morbid depression. People are afraid to tell him when the son actually dies. They're terrified to tell David that your son is dead. They're afraid David's going to harm himself. But when he gets the news that his son is dead, he freaks everybody out. He gets up, he washes himself, and he goes and worships God. And what's amazing to me, when God revealed himself through the convicting work of the Spirit in David, even through these difficulties, there was fresh affection for God. Do you see what the work of conviction does in your life? Do you see the cycle that he went through? All this deep working of the Spirit in this man's life to restore him to God. He ends up once again in a posture to minister. Derek Kidner says, we may note the close connection between a joyous faith and an infectious one and between experiencing restoration and leading others to that knowledge as well. See, listen, some... For some of us, the reason why there's so little ministry taking place through our lives is because we need to be restored to God. We need to be convicted of our sin, be restored to God so that there's fresh infectiousness about us, that the joy of God might return to our bones, and all of a sudden there's a ministry component to live in life. Right? You ever wonder why you're just not telling anybody about Christ anymore? Are you just not infectious with the gospel anymore? Might, might it be that I'm needing a work of conviction that would break me and give me a humble, contrite heart and drive me back to God so I can receive joy and fresh affection? And all of a sudden, as Marvin Tate says, restoration naturally leads to ministry. Confession and forgiveness are always necessary as a prelude to mission. However, confession without mission is abortive and ends in an apathetic spiritual state. If you've experienced in conviction and it didn't turn into mission, I think it's because it didn't turn into fresh affection. You just got convicted, you knew it was wrong, and it didn't turn into worship and fresh affection, which turned into mission for the glory of God, then that whole work of conviction is going to produce in you a sense of apathy. And you just, you're going to have one of those I don't care Christian lives. So this is just a good, healthy view of what does the Spirit's ministry of conviction look like? All right, let me see if I can just tune us into the ministry of conviction here for a couple minutes before, we, before you tune in, right? In just a moment here, I'm going to go silent, and you're going to need to listen for a voice that sounds different speaking into your life. David was a man who probably had some frequent, he had some presets. David was, he was a guy who could fight a battle. He had courage. You know, he could take on Goliath. Because he had courage in the spirits. There were some presets for David that worked, but there were some presets that he never pressed. He never went there. He didn't go into the realm of purity before God. He, he hadn't visited the spirit's ministry of conviction until this time. All right, John chapter 16, verse 8 says, Jesus speaking of the spirit who was coming, he said, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Conviction is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you will not experience conviction apart from the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life. Because he is the one who ministers conviction. J.C. Ryle says, without 
the Holy Ghost, no man ever turns to God, repents, believes, and obeys. Intellectual training and secular education alone make no true Christians. The most zealous efforts of ministers alone cannot make men Christians. The ablest scriptural reasoning has no effect on the mind. The most fervent pulpit eloquence will not move the heart. The naked truth alone will not lead the will. We can show men the fountain of living waters, but we cannot make them drink. Let us dismiss from our minds forever the common idea that natural theology, moral suasion, logical arguments, or even an exhibition of gospel truth are sufficient of themselves to turn a sinner from his sins. The heart of man is far harder than we fancy. The old Adam is much more strong than we suppose. The heart of man will never look to Christ, repent and believe, till the Holy Ghost comes down upon it. Now, How many of us can say, oh Lord, give us a move of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand what cannot happen unless the Spirit of God moves? Listen, don't ever fall prey to the idea that's just common in the modern church that, you know, it's about the building. It's about the programs. It's about what do you have for children? What do you have for youth? What, you know, what, what's the pastor like this way or that way? Listen, those things don't accomplish this work. Now, God might step into those moments. Nathan didn't accomplish that work in David. The Holy Spirit accomplished that work in David. Nathan was a means for God to use him to accomplish that work. But the Spirit of God had to produce conviction. Listen, we need the convicting ministry of the Spirit of God in the church. So when one says, hey, you know, man, God is really moving in that church. Oh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean you've seen people under the convicting hand of God? Do you hear people sounding like Psalm 51? They're writing their own Psalm 51? Is that what you mean? Do you mean you've encountered somebody in your covenant group confess and sound like Psalm 51? And you look at that and you say, wow, the Spirit of God is moving. And this person sees sin. They take an ownership and responsibility for it. They are, they are eager for the presence of God to be restored in their life. When was the last time you encountered that? That's the Spirit of God moving, folks. Don't think for a second that's not a category that the Spirit of God has to dwell in. You know, when you see David, the conviction of God is born out of a revelation of his holiness. The same response that David has, the same response that Isaiah had. When he got in the presence of God, he immediately became self-aware. Right? Do you remember just a moment in God's presence in Isaiah chapter 6 where these cherubim are flying with six wings and covering their feet and covering their eyes. And, and in that moment, it doesn't sound like God speaking to David, but it, God's glory is being revealed. It sounds more like standing next to a nuclear power plant. These angels are flying around this source of power and there's this hum from the throne of God and there's something of the holiness of God and the majesty of God and the purity of God being made known. And Isaiah gets around that and falls down and begins to confess, oh God, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. 
You know, that's what the convicting presence of the Spirit does in our life. It makes you see yourself correctly. But that's not all it does. Because just like David, Isaiah had the same experience. He didn't feel this ominous sense of woe and then run for his life. By the time we get done with Isaiah in the throne room of God, he's drawn near to God. He's up off his feet. God has cleansed his lips by mercy. And he's standing before the throne of God saying, God, send me on your mission. With fresh affection for God. Do you see the work of the conviction of the Spirit of God in our lives? The deep work. Guys, can, can we hunger for something more than nominal descriptions of sin in our lives? Can we, can we hunger for a passion for sin being disclosed in our conviction for it, giving us fresh affections for God that send us on a mission? Right, do you remember the unbelievers in Acts chapter 2? They witness the power of the Spirit of God and the gospel gets preached. I love their response because it's just so much just the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches to them, and the Bible says, and they were pierced to the heart. All these religious people who were there in Jerusalem to celebrate the the Feast of Pentecost, they knew something about God. They were living their religious lives a certain way, but they had escaped God in their hearts. Peter stands up and preaches in the power of God like a javelin, flies through those exteriors and into their heart. These people buckled to their knees spiritually and were pierced to the heart. And they cried out, the Bible says, what must we do to be saved? Guys, I'm grateful for anybody coming to Christ in in any fashion. When was the last time you got around somebody? who when they responded to the saving call of God sounded like they were crying for you to take the javelin out of their chest because they've become so self-aware of their alienation from God, of his hostility toward them, of their need to be saved, that they cried out, what must I do? They didn't have to be begged to come forward. They would have knocked you over to come forward. And then the affection that goes off in their hearts. You realize the people, the problem in the first century church got birth that they had to care for all these poor people. Do you know why? Because they were so undone by God, they had traveled all this way to Jerusalem and they didn't want to go home. They had such an affection for God and what God was doing. They were willing to stay in a town where they didn't know anybody. They had no place to stay, but they were willing not to go home. They were on a mission with God. Oh, Lord, bring that kind of conviction. Let people come under the convicting power of God to where they're they're kind of maybe not sure that they got one foot in the kingdom and four feet in the world. They grow legs. I got one foot in the kingdom, though. I got got, I attend church, and maybe I'll show up to your covenant group once or twice every six months. Where's the cry of people that are desperate? God, you got to fix me. I need you to save me, God. Where's the conviction? Listen, are you okay with the level of conviction around here? You seeing people come to Christ that sound like that? I want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see more in God's church, and I want to see more in me. I want, to, I want to dial in. I want to dial into the Spirit of God and receive conviction.
And so as Matt, as Matt comes, I want you guys to begin to try and listen to a voice that's going to sound different than the one that's been coming through these speakers before you. Sinclair Ferguson said, we ought to give much more attention to this aspect of spiritual experience than we do. It is intimately related to the character of the whole of our Christian lives. Its neglect has left the quality of Christian living of our day relatively poorer. For grace often grows strongest where conviction of sin has pierced deepest. It's just about your your heads right now. And I want you to be aware of the presence of God here with us today. I want you to be aware that the Spirit of God broadcasts His ministry to us. I believe this morning the Spirit wants us to adjust our dial. Maybe it is that we like certain things about the ministry of the Spirit, but receiving conviction by the Holy Spirit may be a station that we don't listen to anymore or very seldom. Well, this morning I want you to adjust the dial intentionally. I want you to begin to tell the Lord with your own heart and with your own lips. Lord, I want to receive conviction from you. I want you to access my life, my activity, my attitudes, my practices. I want to sense you roaming around in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in the secret places. I want to hear your footsteps traveling into that room that I hope no one knew about. Yeah, that room. What's the Spirit of God saying to you? your presence here this morning. And Lord, I want to pray for grace because for some of us coming here this morning, it's like traveling at 90 miles an hour and slamming the brakes on just for a few minutes before we hit the gas again when we walk out the door. And so Lord, this is a foreign moment for many here to stop and listen receive from the peculiar, mysterious voice, operation, and ministry of the Spirit. Lord, give us grace right now to hear you. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. And I want you just to be engaging God. I want you to listen for the conviction of the Spirit. Thank you. 
believe the Lord wants to bring a new normal into many lives here this morning. As you are sensing the Spirit of God bringing some things, some things that have been traveling with you, things that have not been disclosed and dealt with properly. That's not normal. It grieves the Spirit of God. There's sin in your life by the grace and mercy of God, the gift of the Spirit is to convict us of that sin. To give us a Psalm 51 posture before God. To feel your heart inclined feel the weight of offense this has been toward God. Do you feel a sense of release from making excuses or seeking to justify why that happened or explain it away? Do you want to stand bare before God and say, God, I don't want any excuses. I was wrong. I did it. It's been wrong. Have mercy on me, God. I want you to experience conviction. I want you just to acknowledge that, yeah, I've got some problems. I want you to experience conviction. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit guiding you into a sense that that your sin is utterly sinful. To the place where your heart is passionate to ask God, Lord, get it off of me. Lord, you got to do something. Wash this thing out of me. For David, this was maybe a year or two old, and it still felt like it was clinging to him. It was all over him. Is your heart beginning to sense the Spirit of God bringing reality to those sins? Giving you an honest heart before God, an eager heart. Are you concerned that your sins would grieve the Spirit of God and you would experience a diminished ministry of the Spirit in your life. Have you, do you feel that? Have you taken for granted the holiness of the Holy Spirit that you could practice those sins and have that attitude and He would not be affected? You're wrong. something in your heart right now is wanting to make you say, oh God, please don't. Lord, don't. Don't remove your hand from my life. Lord, I don't want to know you from a distance, God. I want your presence to go with me in all that I do. And my sin has offended you, God. Do something, Lord. Stay with me.
have mercy on me. the Lord is being specific with you as he needs to be. A reference point the Spirit can use is the word that says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you I believe there's some here this morning who need to recognize that they have grieved the spirit of God because they are unwilling to forgive feel justified in their anger. Their anger has turned to bitterness. And undoubtedly, that's occurred because something really was done wrong. You really were wronged. But now you are wrong. You are wrong, and it is your offense that is grieving the Spirit of God in your life. God wants to give some room for conviction and repentance for those who are in relational problems this morning. You, you are convicted that you have grieved God by your bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. I had an impression that there would be at least a parent here who has been withholding in anger. You've been hurt by your child or your children and you are withholding yourself intentionally and, and you feel justified because something really did go wrong. And that has turned to anger and bitterness and unwillingness on your part now. And God is grieved. And this morning, God is sending you a Nathan moment to declare to you, this is the time. This is the time for you to be convicted. I believe there's some folks here this morning who are dealing with some sneaky habits. And I'm not going to try and illuminate all of them possibilities, but I did have some impressions that I want to share. Just for the benefit, I think sometimes God comes short of using our names in public, but he gets specific enough to let us know, yep, it's you. I believe there's a businessman here who uh, you, are, you are pretty far into a pornography problem, and God has been dealing with you about it but, but you are afraid to step into the light because of what it will do to your image and your reputation and you are letting that justify you not embracing conviction and repentance in this area I believe this morning God's grace is available to you there's an unmarried couple here who has been involved with each other in a sexually immoral way 
and, and you've allowed your good intentions to replace deep conviction and repentance. You, you don't feel good about what's going on and you've allowed that to replace Psalm 51 conviction and repentance. And God this morning is telling you that is not the ministry of my spirit that you're encountering. And he wants to draw you near to give you a spirit-given encounter. And, I, and I'm, one more, I believe there's a, a single man here. You, you have been with more than one woman recently. I want to say a few, but I don't want to overstate the impression. You've been with more than one woman. You acknowledge that it's wrong, but you have a weak sense of being convicted about it. You don't sound like Psalm 51. I believe God this morning wants to minister to you by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray for the presence of the Spirit of God to do these things. And so here's what I'd like to do. I, I would like some folks to be able to take the time they need to receive from the Spirit of God. So if, if this morning God is saying, I want to do a deeper work of conviction in your life, whatever area that might be, I want to ask you to come up here and pray. And we're going to invite the Spirit of God to come do a deep, deep work of bringing Holy Spirit-given conviction into our hearts. And in a few moments, I'm going to dismiss the folks who aren't here praying, but I'm going to leave room for you to pray as long as you need to pray before God. So let's, let's stand up together. If the Lord is dealing with you, come and receive, come and tune into the Spirit of God. Come and say, Lord, I want to experience the conviction of your Spirit. I want to move of your spirit, God. I want it to begin in my life, Lord. I don't want to be insensitive to you. I, I don't want to act as though that thing doesn't really matter. I don't want to justify any longer. I don't want to make any excuses. I don't want to compare myself to someone else. God, you are wanting me to respond. You are wanting brokenness in my life. And Lord, I've not been broken, God. Deepen the work of your spirit. Deepen the voice of conviction in my soul. This morning, God's dealing with you. Can I get you to come forward in boldness and say, hey, I, I, I want to receive from God. I want to receive from the Spirit of God this morning. Let's go ahead and come, come forward. Listen, don't, don't battle. Listen, I'm your pastor. Okay, if, I, if you're in a church and you're following leaders and God's put pastors in your life and somehow that dude in the front feels led to ask you to come out from where you are, don't, don't negotiate and sit there and say, well, you know, I could just deal with me here. I'll just deal with me here. There's a weird reason why God might want you to get up from where you are. So, you know, one of the greatest things that we can learn to do as Christians is just to quit negotiating with God. Quit trying to get God to do God things in our lives Keith's way. God doesn't want to do things my way. and He doesn't want to do things your way. So, you know, God's gathered you here. If God's doing a work in your heart and, you, and right now you're arguing with me, I know. I've sat in chairs before. I've argued with the dude before. I've acknowledged that, okay, no, God's here. I mean, he, he's in the back of the room too. He's just in the front. Listen, for whatever reason, if that's how God's ordered for you to 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to step out. I'll make it really hard for you now. You're going to step out and somebody who you know is going to ask you why you did. And it may be that that brother's your Nathan. And he's going to say something to you that's going to unlock that thing in your life. Maybe that's why you need to go ahead and just cooperate with God. Say, God, I just need to encounter you this morning. I need your nearness. Father, for these guys that have gathered here this morning, Lord, from the outset, I I just want to impress upon them the work of conviction ends in a great place. The work of conviction doesn't leave us walking out feeling like the scum of the earth. The work of conviction leads us with fresh affection for you and a sense that you now want to use us in this life to bring glory to your name. David, this man who had done horrible things, stolen a man's wife, committed adultery, caused the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of God and murdered a man. Yet he knew that in his turning to God, there'd be a day where he'd he'd get to proclaim God's praises. He'd get to tell the sinner about this God. Lord, somehow he knew in the moment of his great grief over his sin that God was not done with him. Lord, thank you that that's the ministry of conviction. It's not just, woe is me, I feel terrible, and next week I'll be back to say the same thing. It's the beginning of fresh affections and a new life and a passion for the kingdom of God. So, Lord, let everybody here this morning kneeling in this place and seeking you be aware of where your ministry of conviction takes them. Lord, take each one of them, Lord. Each one of them, Lord. Take each one of them from where they are deeper. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, in your way, communicate in your mystery. Speak the language of your ministry into these hearts. Bring fullness of the Spirit. God, let it be said, the Spirit of God moved moved in that place and hearts were broken and lives were changed and glory returned to lives that had once put things aside as Matt leads us the Lord dismisses you and if you're led you're you're welcome to stay and pray for these folks but uh, after Matt's done you're welcome as well if the Lord dismisses you 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 are dismissed this morning Before the world began to breathe, you knew our names before we came to be. You saw the very day we'd fall away from you, and how desperately we need to be redeemed, Lord Jesus.
Desire we come 
anticipated the day of your spirit's ministry in our lives in this area you told your disciples your last night with them that you were going away and that it was better for them if you went away for if you didn't go away then the Holy Spirit would not come the comforter and when he comes he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Lord, you, you were celebrating something there. You were going away so that there could be a greater door opened for your ministry by the Spirit to bring conviction to our lives. Lord, it is a gift, it's a grace from you that you don't leave us in the fog of our sins, but you bring conviction and you get our attention when you do. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person here who you visited with a Nathan moment to bring clarity to their lives. Thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you for your presence here with us this morning in our midst. As I dismiss the folks that are still in their seats, I'm going to leave some time. Matt's going to continue to play for those that want to continue just to seek the Lord longer. Can I ask you guys to do something for me? Uh, and many of you guys will do this. I will get folks, contact me during the week, email me, come up after service, meet me in the next week, and, we'll, and we'll, you'll faithfully come tell me that that word was for me. Um, you know, I know I'm a pastor and I sort of do this for a living, but I don't know what I'm doing, Okay. So it's really helpful, especially in categories where, like, you know, like I said earlier, out of the blue comes some idea that somebody under this description is having this experience right now in their life. I don't know when to write that down and hold on to it or to walk away and say you need to get a better night's rest next time, Keith. Um, so tuning in to the prophetic ministry of God, it's very helpful if, if God said something to you. If you just would just come let me know that. Matter of fact, if you're in a covenant group and someone shares an impression and it's, and it's for you, it would be very helpful for them to be able to learn to identify what the voice of God sounds like when he says peculiar, weird stuff to you. Right? I'm not normally trafficking in your personal business, but every once in a while, something gets said. And sometimes I go as far as to say, God, who is it? I've had two people I can remember recently that I, I, they in particular came to mind for something. But it's not real common, so you don't have to freak out that I don't always know who it is that this is about. Um, but it would be very helpful. So if God did minister to you or you're receiving that from not just me, from anybody in the body of Christ, please help them to know, hey, you dialed into the spirit on that. That was, that was for me. Uh, thank you for hearing that. That was helpful. That's how we encourage the gifts of God in our midst, okay? All right, bless you guys. If you need to remain longer with the Lord, please, please do that. Receive conviction by the Spirit. Mm -hmm.